listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, you know, we do really live in a uh, good news, bad news world. And uh, this past week, um, we kind of experienced some bad news as well. But it's interesting, when bad news comes, uh, good news can often follow based on our response. You know, we had uh, friends of ours up in uh, the panhandle of Florida experience what we've all experienced at some point if we've lived in Florida long enough, uh, a devastating hurricane, really an unprecedented hurricane for northern uh, Florida. And today a lot of those folks are suffering, they're struggling. Uh, You probably have seen the devastation on the news and in the media And I want to encourage you, as part of being the good news for those folks, uh, to do what, as Robbie said, uh, what you can as far as an act of compassion. Uh, If you want to know how to do that, uh, our suggestion is to partner with folks who are already on the ground there, people like the American Red Cross uh, and others who are uh, directly uh, giving and serving those folks. Many of those people are going to be displaced folks for months and maybe even longer from their home. Some of them can't even get back to their home if there is a home there. So we understand that. Uh, Some of you have been through that yourselves. So please um, uh, continue to give and continue to pray and continue to serve those folks. And we encourage you to give to the American Red Cross and others who are helping there. So let's be good news to them. Speaking of good news, we're in the series uh, still talking about that from the book of Mark. Uh, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. And today we're going to talk about a conversation that Jesus had one time uh, in the book of Mark with a young guy, probably a single guy, and apparently a pretty wealthy guy. And this young man discovered something in his encounter with Jesus that he really didn't plan on discovering. It was something he didn't know about himself until he met Jesus. He did not realize it at the time, but it was going to be some of the best news, some of the most good news he could ever hear about himself if he would listen to it and act on it. And that really was the question. Would he listen to Jesus and would he act on what Jesus told him? Well, in a nutshell, this young man discovered that his stuff, his wealth, his resources owned him. That he, in fact, was not the master of his wealth, but his wealth was, in fact, the master of him. And in that moment, when that truth began to sink in very deeply... Instead of embracing it, instead of owning that good news and doing something about it, he turned back to what was a very comfortable life. And in doing so, he might have missed out on a great opportunity. The story is found in Mark chapter 10. I just want to read the first part of it, and then we're going to walk through it uh, for just a moment. It says, as Jesus started on his way, someone ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and Jesus loved him. One thing you lacked, Jesus said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, lest you think that you have very little this morning, if you think that you have very little in common with this young guy, let me ask you to just kind of hold off on that thought for a second. Let me ask you not to draw too many conclusions yet, because what you're going to find out is this young fellow's story really is actually all of our stories. There are several things you need to notice about this encounter. At the very beginning, it says, as Jesus started on his way, someone ran up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. This young man comes, according to Mark, running, not walking up to Jesus. Now think about this. When someone comes running up to you, why do they do that? Well, it usually means that they're in a hurry and there's kind of great anticipation to see you. It kind of indicates an urgency. And in general, in our society, powerful, wealthy people don't run. When you think of people like Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and folks who have a lot of resources, you don't really see them going around running up to people. It's especially true in Jesus' day. This man is wealthy. Over in Luke's gospel, he's called a ruler, possibly a member of the Sanhedrin, a person of influence. But Mark tells us, uh, whatever his status was, he ran. He wanted this encounter badly. And when he gets to Jesus, he doesn't shake hands. He doesn't just start talking. He falls at his feet and he kneels before him. Now let me ask you, when's the last time that happened to you? When's the last time you came home, maybe late in the afternoon from work, and your spouse heard you or your friend heard you, and you come running through the house, and they greet you, and they throw themselves at your feet? They might throw something, but it's probably not going to be themselves at your feet. Well, this man is paying extreme deference. He's paying honor to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and even though Jesus has no money, remember he's kind of this itinerant uh, rabbi, a carpenter, until he was probably around his 30s. He didn't exactly set the marketplace on fire. But this rich young ruler hears about him, and he falls at his feet, and he says, Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a pretty unusual thing. Occasionally, people might be described as good in that day, but there's really no record of a rabbi ever being addressed with the phrase, good teacher. So what this guy is doing is he's kind of expressing in, with spiritual urgency and devotion just how dramatic and just how deeply he feels about the situation. Now, this is a reality check for this guy and for us. This young guy has a burning question that apparently no one had been able to answer. Perhaps this was a question he'd ask everywhere. For some reason, he couldn't get the satisfactory answer. So he's decided that this man, Jesus, must be from God. Perhaps this rabbi can answer his question. So he does what a lot of us do, and he flatters Jesus with a title. And he's trying to kind of manipulate the system to get from God what he wants. And what he wants is an answer to the question that apparently is not letting him get much sleep. And the custom of the day would have been for Jesus the rabbi to respond like this. Well, honored and diligent seeker, here's the answer to your question. But as you often know and probably figured out by now, Jesus isn't very normal. He did this with a lot of people, and it drove people insane. In fact, if you do it to me, it will drive me insane. 
Instead of answering the question for it, he became famous for this. Jesus often would answer a question with what? Another question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. That's a word that is reserved for God. And what I think Jesus may be saying here is that, listen, bud, I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think about what you're saying because only really God is good. And if you come running up to me and throw yourself at my feet and kneel before me and apply that title to me, then you are kind of claiming to commit yourself to a level of submission and devotion that could have a really high price tag. So Jesus says, before you get all worked up emotionally, I want you to think about what is costing you in this situation, what might be the cost. Now this is interesting because this is what all of us have done at some point. All of us have come to God on some kind of emotional wave. We have a prayer that needs to be answered or a problem that needs to be solved or a crisis that needs to be kind of diffused. And we come to God for momentary relief and we come to God with momentary kind of temporary intentions and we do the same thing that this guy does in this story. He just wants an answer to his question. And in his mind, the question is pretty simple. He wanted to know, how do you get eternal life? Is it going to be okay when I die one day? He'd done everything he knew to please God up to that point. He wanted to be sure that he was in, sure that he was headed to the right place, sure that when he died one day that everything was going to be okay. So Jesus turns up the heat. Watch what Jesus says. He says, you know the commandments. And he goes through several of the Ten Commandments. Almost all of them are the ones that it involves not doing certain things. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal or lie. And this guy stands there and he's kind of got his clipboard out. And he's like, as Jesus reciting him, he's going, check, check, check. Oh, didn't do that one. Check. Check. And teacher, he says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. In other words, teacher, it's amazing, but you've described me to a T. <laughs> That's a little smug, isn't it? Imagine telling Jesus that you're perfect. And I kind of think maybe Jesus wanted to challenge him. Like maybe wanted to say, really? Come on, never deceived anybody, never spoken one untrue word, never gave one false impression, like never cheated on a test, like even a Hebrew test when you was a little boy. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't challenge him. He just kind of gives him a free pass on that. He kind of just says, you know what, we're going to let that slide for a moment. And there's this very poignant statement here in Mark's gospel. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Instead of giving him the answer, there was something that rose up in Jesus when he looked at this sincere but very spiritually blind guy, the guy who was asking all the wrong questions, the guy who was trying to figure out how this system worked, how to get God to do his deal for him. He said, listen, how can I do one more thing? And Jesus looks at him and his heart goes out to him. And listen, he's not mad. He's not angry. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't preach to him. All he does is he opens up the searchlight 
and he's getting ready to drill right down into this guy's heart. He's about to do what only Jesus can do, and that is he's going to expose himself for who he really is. His heart goes out to this fellow, and he shines the light in such a way that maybe, maybe, somehow, someway, someday, this guy will come to the right conclusion about who he really is. And he hits him with this good news. Pow! Jesus looks at him, this somewhat deceived and very smug young man, and he loves him, and he says to him, just one thing you lack. You got the whole list, man, but there's just one thing you lack. Now, you got to understand, this guy had to get excited. He had to be thinking, wow, just one thing, one thing, that's it. I just do one thing. Can't, hang on, Jesus. Let me get something I can write this down with, okay? All right, I got a pen and paper. Go ahead, Jesus. Give it to me. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at that point, I think we hear the young man say, excuse me, Jesus? <laughs> uh, there was a herd of sheep rushing by real fast. I didn't quite pick, what, what, what was that? Go and sell what? You, you, I think you've misunderstood the question, Jesus. I want to know, how do I have eternal life? I just want you to give me another law to keep, another command to follow. I just want you to give me something else to do because, see, I got this system figured out, and I got to get God in on my deal. And if you want me to do what? To the poor? And then come and follow you? And I can just imagine the disciples who are kind of maybe standing there listening to this, and they're smiling, and this guy's looking at them, and he's thinking, I got to be one of those guys? They don't have a place to even sleep at night. And this is where a lot of people get hung up in the story because it really does sound radical. I mean, people think, if this is what Jesus is saying that somebody really has to do to follow him, then there is no way. In fact, if you were to read this story today and, and, and you were to hear it, everybody in this room would probably think, you know what, that's not even the right answer, Jesus. If someone came up to the, to after, you, uh, after the service and came up to you and said, hey, listen, what do you got to do to have eternal life? I would guarantee you, not many of you would say, listen, go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come eat lunch with me. I wouldn't even say, sell everything you have and follow Jesus. That's not even the right answer. Or maybe it is. Because here's what Jesus knew, and here's what Jesus knows about us. What this guy was into was control. He wanted his life bolted down tight. This guy wanted to figure out how it worked, and he wanted to sit in the seat of control, and he wanted to figure out how to get God in on his deal and still get out of life what he wanted. And what he wanted was eternal life. And Jesus is out after something else. Listen to me carefully here. Jesus is always after something else. Jesus came to expose the world to, to not only God, but to the heart of God. And part of this new truth 
that this world did not know or understand and still misses to this day is that God, more than anything in this world, wants our love. What God wants is our loyalty. What God wants is our devotion. He did not send his son into the world, listen, to establish another code of conduct or the 11th commandment, but he came to establish a relationship. He was trying to tell this guy, listen, dude, eternal life is not a destination. Eternal life is a relationship. Over in John's gospel, Jesus would make this clear when he would say, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, eternal life is not heaven someday. It's not living forever. It's not even a place. It's a person. What he's talking about here is being connected with someone in a relationship. It's not just showing up. It's not just doing a lot of things. It's not finding the right formula. Eternal life is about a relationship. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to know how to have eternal life, I'll tell you. I want you to be a part of my group. I want you to follow me. He said, you see that guy over there, Matthew? He had to leave the tax collector stand. And you see those guys over there, Peter and Andrew and James and John? They had to leave their dad's fishing boats. And you got to leave your wealth. Because I want to disconnect people from the very thing that they are primarily loyal to. And I want them to be connected to me and to my Father. Because when I am gone one day, the message that I'm going to leave this world is that God isn't about a routine or a system or any of that. But he's about a relationship. Jesus knew that in order for this young man to connect with God the way he was supposed to connect with him, he had to deal, listen now, with his primary loyalty in his life. And in that moment, that just amazing moment, this young man discovered something about himself. He discovered not that his personal ambition was to find out about eternal life, his primary ambition in life was to stay in the seat of control and to use God to get what he wanted. There was something that he wanted more than eternal life, and that something was that he wanted his lifestyle. The reason I said that we should kind of hold off before we think that this guy really had his own experience and his own story, and it's very different from ours, is because every person I've ever known, including myself, including everybody in this room, has at least one area in our life that we're always going to be tempted to hold back from God. If you were to ask us in privacy, we would tell you in the privacy of our own heart that deep down we know it's not ours in the first place, but we fool ourselves into thinking it, and we think that we are the master of it. We think that we are the captain of that ship. And before we know it, there is this chain wrapped around us. And enslaves us to the point that we can never fully give ourselves to God and to his kingdom. And we can list a thousand things. Pleasure, our relationship. Maybe it's something that, you know, you're just not willing to let go of or someone. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's the need to be approved by other people. But when Jesus shines this light on your life and you see it, you come to decision time. This guy hears this good news and there is this deafening silence. And it dawns on this rich young guy that this, not, this 
will not be what he thought it was going to be, which was another little polite spiritual conversation. And he wonders to himself, could I really do this? And I see him look over at the disciples, just out of kind of my mind's eye, and I see him looking at them, and I, I, I see him kind of thinking, wow, I mean, these guys don't have much, but they seem so free. <laughs> they, they, they seem so, like, joyful, and they seem so connected, and they seem so, so devoted to one another. I mean, they, they seem like they, 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 they've got a purpose in their life, and they seem like that... They really want to make a difference. I mean, nobody's going to ask them to be a part of the Sanhedrin. <laughs> and in this moment, this guy realizes that if he did what Jesus said, if he joined that motley crew, <laughs> it was going to be vocational financial suicide. And in that amazing moment, he realizes he's scared. This is a guy who probably has never backed down from anything in his life. And in that moment, he is afraid. And here's how Mark records it. Listen to these words. It says, but at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. This is why this is such an important passage of Scripture. This is why this is such an important account encounter for all of us to relate from. Because it simply says this, nothing competes more for your love of God than your pursuit of a certain lifestyle. Mark it down. Nothing competes for your heart. Nothing will tug at your heartstrings more than your pursuit of a certain lifestyle. That's why every once in a while, like this man experienced, you will have a defining moment. And usually that defining moment will be a financial moment in your life. It will usually spin somehow around wealth and a lifestyle and a management issue when it comes to finances. There will be a time when God will say, I want you to give in some generous or extraordinary way to help someone to to." to seed something into the kingdom of God, to help grow the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you something, you can come to church and sing all the songs we want to sing and have all the quiet time you want to have and read all the scripture you want to, but I'm telling you, nothing will get to the core of who you are and whose you are than when Jesus says, what about your stuff? Here's what I want you to know. In that moment... You'll not only discover stuff about yourself, but you'll discover something about God. And this is something that took me a long time to learn, but I eventually learned that God doesn't need your money. In fact, it has never, ever been about money. The interesting thing in this story is when Jesus says, listen, I want you to liquidate everything, he doesn't say, give it to me. <laughs> he says, I want you to liquidate everything and sell it off and give it to the poor and then Come follow me. Why? Because Jesus doesn't need his money. And Jesus doesn't even want his money. And I got news for you. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants you to fall in love with him. And here's what he knows. God knows that if you fall in love with him, you will always give generously to the ones that you love. Come on, let's be honest. When you fell in love with someone, 
It is amazing what you are willing to do for them. I've known guys in this church who worked hard at a job. They developed a budget. They approached their, their finances with strategy and discipline. And then they start dating a young lady, and it's like something unplugged from the back of their heads. If she wanted something, guys, you figured out a way to do it, to pay for it, even if it meant paying for it later. Anybody remember back when you were dating? It was crazy that you would spend money on some of the things you spent it on. And then it gets worse because then you have children. And it goes from crazy to absolutely insane. If you're a parent, think about it. All the stupid things that you have spent money on for your kids. You look at it and it's $14.95. And you know, you know they're going to spend eight minutes playing with it. Yet it's your kid. And if they want it, I guess they need it. <laughs> and it's yours. You know what else people who are in love do? Not only do they give extravagantly, they prioritize according to whom they love. You guys have seen the bumper sticker around town. My wife told me to quit fishing or she was going to leave me. Man, I'm going to miss her. You've seen that? <laughs> when you love somebody... They become a priority. Listen, I love my car, and I love my kids, but honestly, if it came down to a choice, I hope you would choose your kids. This is why we have to have these kind of moments in our life. Every once in a while, you just have to find out, are you still in love with your Savior? I remember one of the first defining moments in my life financially when Robin and I I first got married. We had just had our first uh, girl, Sabrina, and I was driving this older model car. It was a very dependable car, but we decided, as most people did back then, to do the family van thing. So the car had to go. And about the time that we were doing this, I went to a conference, and I heard a pastor who was speaking about a ministry that they had started at their church. And it was a ministry where they, people would donate their cars and guys in the church and ladies in the church who liked working on cars would fix them up, make sure they were running properly, and kind of tune them up. And then they would literally give away those cars to single moms and people who need them who didn't have transportation. It was just a fabulous ministry. And I came back from that conference kind of pumped up, and I knew we were getting ready to trade or sell that car in, and I couldn't get this idea of maybe giving that car away to somebody else. Now, don't get me wrong, it wasn't worth like thousands of dollars, but it was a pretty good little car. So I kind of tested the waters one day, and I asked Rob, I said, I said um, I've been thinking about this car thing, and I, I'm wondering what do you think about giving this car away to somebody who needs it? And she said, you know, I was thinking the exact same thing. And I was like, well, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> I didn't want you to agree with me. <laughs> so long story short, we decided to forego the trade-in, and we gave that card to a single mom. And I want to tell you what the really hard part was. The hardest part was not even giving that car away. The hardest part was when I got in the car to drive it over to her house, I looked down, and the gas gauge was dead on empty. 
the light was on. And as I was driving, I'll never forget this, I was going down Gibb Galloway Road in North Lakeland, and I was heading to her house, and this little voice said to me, don't you dare take that car over there without filling it up with gas. And my little voice came back and said, are you kidding me? I'm giving them a car. Why do I have to put gas in the car that I'm giving them? And the little voice came back to me and said, unless you want to buy a lemon for a van, you better pull in that gas station. <laughs> Something like that. See, that's the hard part. See, the issue isn't about the money. The issue isn't that God needs your money. The issue is that God knows nothing competes with your heart for the lordship of your life like your stuff. And when Jesus looks at this guy, here's the good news. He knew what was in his heart, and he knew what he was going to do, and he knew that he had no idea that his stuff owned him, and he knew he was going to make the wrong decision, and yet Jesus just smiled and loved him anyway. And this guy is so sad, and the reasons he's sad is he still has all his money, and he still has all his power, and he still has all his prestige, and he still has his richness and his fullness and his respectable life. But the reason he's sad, friends, is nothing is sadder than saying no to God. Now, no one really knows what happened to this guy. We can take a guess. I can imagine weeks or days or months later, he finally hears about this Jesus again. I imagine he hears about this Jesus being crucified, and he hears about this Jesus possibly being resurrected, and he hears about what's happening in Jerusalem, and thousands of Jewish people are putting their faith in this resurrected rabbi. And I wonder as he got older and older, maybe he looked back on this and he thought, you know, I could have been one of those guys. I mean, it could have been Matthew, John, and Peter, and Billy, or whatever his name was. He could have been right there. But he allowed something that was here today and gone tomorrow to keep him from tomorrow. The story we heard before the message began is so true. When we get to the end of our lives, none of us are going to say, I wish I had bought more stuff or had a bigger lease. <laughs> this encounter with Jesus, this good news story, simply reminds us of whose we are. So the question I want to end with today is that, whose are you and what will you do about it? The money is irrelevant. The question is, whose are you and what will you do about it? And will you in, fa in fact face this uncomfortable truth? Will you stand in the light of Jesus long enough until you say, you know what? Whatever you ask, I'm not going to let anything own me. I'm not going to let anything divide my loyalty. And will you look in the eyes of this Savior who just loves this guy, loves him to death, and when you look into your Savior's eyes and see that same kind of love and say, you know what? I belong to someone much greater and much more valuable than my lifestyle.
We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.